learned uh, about Jesus building an altar in part two, Minister Winchell focused on a quiet time, a quiet mind. And today is part three, and we're going to be dealing with the significance of having a personal altar. How many can testify that when I started to, be, when I began to strengthen my prayer life, I started to see strongholds broken and I started to see things shift. I mean, I really started to see things shift when I started really committing my time to pray. If you have your Bibles, we're going to um, highlight a few scriptures this morning as we examine the importance of having a personal altar. The first scripture I want to examine is 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 35. I just want to stir your hearts, and I want to talk to you a little bit about prayer this morning from this particular angle. And so I ask when I say prayer that you don't tune out, but you tune in, and I'm believing that God is going to speak some things to us this morning. Amen? Amen. That's 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 35, and it says this. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first time he had built an altar to the Lord. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first time he had built an altar to the Lord. Now understand in the background of this text, Saul had already been anointed as king several chapters earlier. This means chapters have gone by, time has gone by, months and even years have gone by. But the scripture said, now Saul built an altar to the Lord, and it was the first time he had built an altar. Understand that God allowed Saul to become king, but he wasn't God's choice to be king. Early in 1 Samuel, the scripture says that it was the people that began to cry out to God and say, give us a king like the other nations. The scripture goes on to tell us that very thing displeased God because they wanted what other people had, but they were taking for granted what they already had. They wanted a natural king, but they didn't understand that they already had the king of kings. They wanted a man to rule over them instead of having God rule over them. And the scripture said that this displeased God. Their motives to desire to have someone else reigning over them literally broke God's heart. Understand that even the prophet Samuel, the Bible said, saw it as being sinful that they would actually refuse to embrace their own uniqueness that God desired for them to have. If I could just pause for a moment, I want to tell you that it's important that you understand this morning that all of us were created uniquely. Each and every one of us has a destiny, a purpose, a call, and a dream that's, that's specific to our lives. And when God created you and when he created me, he knew exactly what he was doing. He created you to be you, and he didn't create you to be like anybody else. He created you to be just who you are. You're not an accident. You're not a mistake. You're not a coincidence. And the worst thing that we can do, like the children of Israel, is to begin to think that we want to be like others or be like something or someone else other than what God has called us to be. We have to reject or refuse to be infected with this disease of comparisonitis. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, those that compare themselves among themselves are unwise. In other words, I shouldn't live my life wanting to be like this person or wanting to be like that person or wanting to have what they have or wanting to be where they are. I need to live my life saying, God, you have a unique plan and purpose for my life, and that is what I want. You have to understand that you're only going to be the best you that you can be. I had to come to the realization in my own life. I had to understand that I would never preach like Pastor Philip or I'll never teach like Minister Winchell or some of the other ministers that preach and teach the gospel. I had to come to a place and be like, you know what? 
I'm only going to be what God has called me to be, and I choose to be the best Brianna that I can be. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and that is enough. I want to encourage somebody this morning, embrace who you are, because you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and you are the best you that you could ever be. Amen? The scripture goes on to say that Samuel anointed Saul as king. But here's what I want you to understand. In our text, when it said that Saul built an altar to the Lord, it was the first time that he built an altar. Saul had been reigning for several years and just now decided to build an altar. I want to say it like this. He was leading but hadn't built an altar. He was ruling but hadn't built an altar. He was making decisions but hadn't built an altar. He was building teams and leading armies but had yet to build an altar to God. In other words, the altar that Saul built was not his first response. The Bible says it was his last resort. The altar had become an afterthought in Saul's life. And here's the principle I want to give you. You should have been, what should have been an obligation to Saul, Saul made an option. Meaning if you're taking notes, write this down. Here we go. The altar cannot be an option. It must be an obligation. Options must be overridden by obligation. The altar cannot be optional if we want our lives to be optimal. Understand that when the altar becomes optional, obstacles in our lives will be greater. When I talk about the altar, I'm not talking about erecting some statue or some objects. What I'm talking about is our prayer, our devotion, our sacrifice, and our surrender to God. We as followers of Christ must protect our altar by any means necessary. Maybe some of you are at the point where you, you've lost your altar. For some of us, maybe we've never built an altar of prayer. And some of us, we may have built one, but we let it fall astray. But, somebody say but. During this season of discipleship and prayer, this would be a great time that you say, Lord, over these next four months, help me to reestablish, reinforce, rebuild, and solidify my altar so that I don't go into another year the same way. We must say to the Lord, I realize that the altar is everything to you, and it has to be everything to me. The altar cannot be an option. It must be an obligation. We must understand that prayer is the umbilical cord to heaven. Prayer is tapping into the power of God. Prayer is need reaching beyond itself. Prayer is the recognition of God's sufficiency. When I look at my insufficiency, one writer put it this way, God hears prayers, God heeds prayers, God answers prayers, and God delivers by prayers. As God hears prayers, God heeds prayers, God answers prayers, and God delivers by prayer. Another writer by the name of A.J. Gordon said, you can do more than pray after you pray, but you can never do more than pray until you prayed. Prayer wonderfully clears the vision and steadies the nerves, defines the duties, stiffens the purpose, sweetens and strengthens both the soul and the spirit. Let me ask you this, could we be failing in various areas of our lives because we fail to kneel down on our knees and pray? We need to make a fresh confession today that from this day forward, the altar is not an option. It would be, it would not be optional, but it would be an obligation in my life. We need to make a commitment that prayer will be a priority. Prayer will set the precedence of my day. Prayer will not be something I do just in an emergency. See, sometimes we do emergency prayers, but imagine if we did preventive prayers. That's when we pray before things get wrong. We pray before things get messed up. Could it be if we prayed beforehand, it would prevent a lot of things from happening that we end up complaining about when it happens? 
I want you to understand that when we begin to neglect the altar like Saul, we lose our ability to make right decisions. We lose our ability to have the focus that we need. We begin to trust more in our own strength and ability. We become cold and callous and it comes when it comes to spiritual things. And it's at that point that it's only a matter of time that we just stop praying and we stop seeking God and we lose our character, our integrity, our standards, and our morals. When things seem to get easier, we start to think, oh, I got this. And we begin to lose our fear and our reverence of God. But I come to, de to declare this morning that we get stirred again. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will stir in every heart under the sound of my voice a fresh passion, a fresh desire, a fresh hunger, and a fresh thirst, a thirst for prayer. If you believe that this morning, say amen. amen. The Bible speaks clear of the priority of the altar. In my religious studies classes in college, there is a principle called the law of first mention. It's when something is mentioned for the first time in scripture, it sets a principle or a pattern for things throughout. The first time that the Bible mentions the altar is in Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. That's Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. It's real short. You don't got to go to it. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. Genesis chapter 8, verse 20 said, then Noah built an altar to the Lord. The altar was built after the flood. Why is this important? Because the flood represents the judgment. The flood represents the washing away of the sin, degradation, and wickedness, and evil that had hit the earth. But notice, after there was a washing, he said there had to be an altar. The altar here represents a type of salvation. In other words, when I'm washed in the blood of the precious lamb of Jesus, when I become a follower of Christ, one of the first things I need to do is establish an altar. Yes, salvation may start at the altar, but salvation has to continue at the altar. I may come to the altar and get saved, but because I'm saved, I must keep an altar all throughout my life. Why? Because the altar cannot be an option. The altar must be an obligation. I want you to understand that in Genesis chapter 8, we have Noah building an altar, but one chapter over uh, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 20, he built a vineyard. In one chapter, he went from altar building to vineyard planning. And he began to become intoxicated about the success of what he had accomplished and achieved. What am I trying to tell you? Isn't it something that sometimes when we first start out, our altar is strong? When we first get saved and when we first come to Christ, we can't keep ourselves off the altar. All we want to do is pray and talk to God. But when things begin to come together, now that there's a little money in the bank, now that the marriage is doing better, now that the kids are saved, now everything is going well, there's a tendency to think that things are not as messed up as they were. And this is when we start to compromise and lean away from the altar. Now it's more about what I have to achieve or what I want to achieve. It's more about what I want to succeed at. And what starts to happen is my success now takes the place of my altar. And this is the opposite of what should be taking place. I want to say this morning, the more God blesses you, the bigger your altar should become. The more God does for you, the more you should be on your knees. The more miracles and breakthroughs that he does in your life, the more we should cry out in humility, humbleness, and adoration unto him. How many can testify, I don't want the success if I don't have God. I don't want his blessings to become bigger than the blesser. I don't want what he does for me to become bigger than who he is to me. I want him always to be a priority in my life. 
if God has blessed you, if God has prospered you, if God has raised you up, if he's healed your marriage, if he's restored your home, if he's healed your body, don't get so caught up in what God has done for you that you forget about the God that did it. How many can say, God, I'm thankful for your hands, but I want your face. I, I'm thankful for the increase, but I want intimacy with you. I really desire to know you. Amen. So the first point was the altar cannot be an option. It must be an obligation. If you're taking notes, the next point is this. The altar has to be a, become a priority in both our homes and churches. So we're going to talk about the homes first. So in Genesis chapter 26, verse 25, Genesis chapter 26, verse 25, Isaac built an altar, the scripture says, so he built an altar there, worshiped the Lord, and pitched his tent. There Isaac's slaves also dug a well. He built an altar, he pitched his tent, and the scripture said he dug a well. Notice that the altar came before his tent, which was his home. The altar came before the well, which was his occupation. He understood that the first thing that I need to establish in my home is an altar. The Bible says in Psalms 127, unless the Lord builds the house, they that labor, labor in vain. He understood, Isaac understood if I'm going to have the success in my home, if I'm going to have success in my occupation, it's going to first start with me building an altar. Listen, I need, a, I need an altar so that I can be the wife and the mother that God has called me to be. Men, you need an altar to be the husbands and the fathers that you need to be. I need an altar so that I won't just be an average business person or an average minister, but when I establish a personal altar to God in my heart, I can be above and beyond. There are some things you'll be able to do in your own strength and ability. There are some things that your natural giftings will actually produce in your life and take you to a certain level. But if you want real success, that success in the eyes of God is going to start with an altar. How many of us can declare that we need an altar in our homes? While I love our children's and youth ministries, I have to understand that they only see the kids a couple of hours a week. As parents, it's your responsibility as the head of your household to have a personal altar of prayer that will ultimately teach your kids. It's your responsibility to raise them up in the right admonition and the nurture of the Lord. I need to talk to some, to some men right now because it was Isaac. It was the man of the house that said, I'm not waiting on my wife to pray. I know she can pray. I'm not waiting on anybody else to pray. I'm not waiting on the preacher to come by my house to pray. But as men of God, you must declare, this is my house. I'm the king and priest and prophet of my home. We need some men in 2019 in a day and time where manhood has been displaced, where we're living in the most fatherless generation that ever existed. We need some men of God that will stand up and say, yes, I can build a business. Yes, I can build a ministry. But the greatest thing I've ever built was an altar where I could surrender myself to the Lord where I can cry out to my God and my Savior because without an altar, nothing else matter. The altar is not an option, but it must be a priority in my home. While the altar must be a priority in my home, we must extend that to our church homes as well. The altar must be a priority in our church. You don't have to turn to it, but the Bible tells us in Ezra chapter 3, they were building the temple, and the temple was in ruins, and the temple was in rubble, and the temple had been broken down. But the scripture said that the priests and the men of God came to rebuild the temple. But as they began to rebuild the temple, the first thing the scripture said was that they started to dig through the rubble. Bree, why are they digging through the rubble? I'm glad you asked. They were digging in preparation to build an altar. 
right then they understood that if the church is going to succeed, if the ministry is going to succeed, if it's going to be the result of a church that prays and stays on the altar, believing God to do great things. And it was true then and it's true today. Don't believe me. Let's go to Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. That's Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. When you dare say amen. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. Y'all there? Okay. When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the t Lord's house. When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down, the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Now that scripture pierced my soul because I'm believing in freedom for the rest of 2019 and beyond that we'll have such an altar of prayer, we'll have such a spirit of prayer that the fire of God, that the glory of God, the presence of God, a move of God will hit this ministry so hard that the onlookers from the outside will see what God is doing and begin to fall on their faces and so we'll see a thousand more times, a thousand souls more being saved. If you believe that, say amen. God's greatest days for this ministry are still ahead. I still believe that there's a greater revival. I still believe that there's a greater move of God still ahead that he wants to pour out, but it all begins with an altar. So the first point was the altar cannot be an option. The second point was the altar must be priority. Amen. Please talk that to me. Amen. The next point, if you're taking notes, is we must understand that it's important to have a personal altar because God will use your altar to alter other altars. He will use your altar AR to alter ER, other altars. Let's go to Judges chapter 6, verses 25 through 26. Y'all going to get this work today. Judges chapter 6, verses 25 through 26. In this passage of scripture, God was talking to Gideon. That's Judges chapter 6, verses 25 through 26. And it says this. On that very night, the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull and a second bull, seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that belongs to your father, and cut down the sheriff pole beside it. Build a well-constructed altar to the Lord, your God, on the top of this rock. Take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of a sheriff pole you cut down. The Bible said God told Gideon to go to his father's altar and take a bull and hitch it to the altar and tear it down. He said that in the same place, on the same stone, now build me an altar unto the Lord. Why is this important? Because Gideon's father was full of idolatry and iniquity, and the altar he had built was an altar to worship false gods. But God said, the way I'm going to deal with the altars of your ancestors and the generations before, I'm going to raise up a generation that will erect altars that are going to eradicate the altars of the past. Listen, what the enemy wants to do is use the altars from past generations, past backgrounds, to, and to be altars of addiction, altar of generational curses. The enemy wants to erect altars of divorce, altars of abuse, and he wants to pass them down from generation to generation. But God said, when you build an altar before me, I will alter 
other altars. This is why having a personal altar is so powerful. Like Gideon, when you build your altar today, it's going to eradicate the demons and the devils of yesterday. You must have a personal altar because your altar is going to break cycles off of your family. Know this, when you build a personal altar, your children are not going to have to go through what you went through. You're not going to have to, you're not going to be what everything and everybody was before you. I declare in Jesus' name, your altar is going to break cycles of sin, cycles of divorce, cycles of poverty, and cycles of rebellion. I believe that when you pray, things are going to start coming down. Things are going to shake. Things are going to turn around in the name of Jesus. Does anybody still believe in the power of prayer? We got we to gotta quit making excuses, quit being the victim. Everybody's got a story. Everybody's going through hurts. Everybody's going through pains. But we must learn that before I talk to anybody, before I get on social media, I must make my concern. I must take my concerns to the only one that can do something about it. The Bible says in 1 Peter in chapter 5, cast all, not some, but all your cares on him, for he cares for us. We must come to the Father with the mindset and the reassurance that my God is good, my God is faithful. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. My daddy owns it all, so I believe for better, I believe for greater, I believe for mightier, and I believe for a thousand times more. I believe some stuff can be break in Jesus' name, but first and foremost, we must go to the source because it's through our personal altars that he can alter ER, other altars. The altar cannot be an op uh, option. It must be a what? The altar must be a priority. Where? God will use your altar. Amen. Is this blessing anybody this morning? Now that we understand the importance of and the priority of the altar, we must now take into consideration what actually happens on the altar. God said, I will use the altar to do several things. Number one, God says, I will use the altar for authorization. Understand this. We talked about Saul. Saul would often go and do stuff and then bring it back to God and ask him to bless it. He wanted validation without authorization. He wanted to do what he wanted to do and expected God to endorse it. But see, it don't work like that. God sent me to tell you that it's on the altar that I get authorization. It's on the altar where I, de I can declare not my will, but thy will be done. It's where defiance is turned to deference, meaning I defer to what he desires for my life. Turn to your neighbor and say, the altar. I, on the altar, I get authorization. Don't believe me. Uh, look, let's look at Abraham and Isaac. Genesis chapter 22, verses 20, verse 22. It's one verse. You don't have to go there. It says, then he said, take now your only son. Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Notice the scripture said, when God told Abraham to take Isaac, he said, take now thy only son. But wait a minute. We know the story that Abraham laid with his maidservant and made Ishmael out of their own will. Isaac wasn't the only son because Ishmael was born but when God was talking to Abraham he said take now thy only son using my homelike imagination maybe the reason God told him to take his only son was because God was not going to endorse what was birthed in the flesh which was Ishmael God is saying I'm not going to acknowledge what was birthed by the spirit which is your flesh essentially he is saying that I can't use what you produce through your own flesh because you didn't consult me on it. 
Have you ever gone to a restaurant and you get the receipt back and you looking at the receipt? Maybe it's just me. I look at the receipt to make sure everything I you make sure nothing extra is on there. But you see something extra. How many of us are so generous that when the waitress gets back, we like, you know, there's some extra stuff on here, but I'm going to go ahead and pay for it. I'm feeling generous today. No, we, we don't. None of us do that. We say, excuse me. I know if it was me, ma'am, ma'am, excuse me. I ain't coming here to pay for all this extra stuff. Can you bring me the right ticket? My point is this. Some of us cause a scene because your heart is this. You are not going to authorize payment for stuff that you didn't order or eat. So why is it that we think that we can run up tabs of our own decisions and choices with God that he did not order and expect him to pay for it? How about going to the altar first and say, God, is this your will? Watch this. Is she your will? Is he your will? If some of us prayed that we wouldn't be dealing with the counterfeit that we whip any, but we're going to move on. If you had, you wouldn't be struggling. We need to pray, is this job your will? Is this business your will? Is this ministry your will? And at the end of the day, our position should be this, not my will, but thy will be done. God said, I will use the altar for authorization. Second thing that happens on the altar is God begins to do alterations. Somebody say alterations. You know, when something alters, one definition, definition said to be changed or to be modified, often, often change requires sacrifice. Let's look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It's a very familiar scripture. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I don't want y'all thinking I'm making nothing up. That's why I keep giving y'all the scriptures. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, reasonable service. He said, it's your reasonable service to present your lives on the altar as a sacrifice. Again, he said, it's reasonable, not unreasonable. Some of you said, hmm, God, you seem like you require so much of me. He just wants so much of me. Wait a minute now. How can we say that when he gave his all? He didn't say that when he hung on the cross. He asked you the tithe, but he gave his whole life. He asked you to serve, but he gave his whole life. This is why we need an altar so that we can die on the altar and realize that no matter what God may require of me, it's always going to be reasonable in comparison to what he did on the cross. You would not be here unless his blood kept you. You wouldn't be here unless his presence washed over you. Some of us would have been in a crazy house. Some of us would have been dead and gone right now if it had not been for Jesus who stepped into our lives, saved us, and snatched us out of the pits of hell, that pulled you out of the abusive relationship, that lifted you up out of the deception and deceit, and now that we're saved, how dare we say, I can't give him my all or serve him entirely, follow him wholeheartedly, and seek him and pursue him passionately. We need him to make some alterations in our lives so that we, he can take us to his, he can sit, take his rightful place, excuse me. So the altar, so on the altar there is authorization, alteration. The third point is this, what I want to call activation. 
on the altar, his power is activated in our lives. The upper room was nothing more than an altar. Jesus told his disciples in Acts chapter 4, tarry in Jerusalem until they were endued with the power from on high. He said, when you get on the altar, there's coming a greater power. There's coming a greater anointing. There's coming a greater touch. There's coming a greater presence because he says, I see where you are, but I know where you're going. Where you're going, you're going to need more than what you got. You're going to need to be able to witness in your own strength and ability because not by your power nor by your might, but by my spirit. He says the altar is important because God doesn't see you for where you are. He always sees where he's taking you. And so your altar is preparing you for your blessings later. Your sacrifice now is setting you up for what's going to happen later. He's going to do a great work in you now so that he builds the capacity and the ability to receive power that's going to propel you later because in these days and times we're up against what we need more than just expertise. We need the Holy Ghost. We need the anointing. We need the very thing that destroys yokes. We need his power to be activated in our lives. Amen. The altar must be an obligation. The altar has to be a priority in our homes and churches. It alters other altars. God will use the altar for authorization, alteration, activation. The last point is this. Write this down. The altar is where there is acceleration. Somebody say acceleration. acceleration. Let's look at Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 through 25. I want you to see this real quick. Matthew 14, 22 through 25. And it says, immediately he had the disciples get into the boat, and they went ahead to the other side. While he dismissed the crowds, notice this, after dismissing the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When, eve- when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a mile from land, battered by the waves because of the wind. Around three in the morning, he came toward them walking on the sea. Really quickly, I want you to see this. Do you see that Jesus sent, them, sent the disciples before him? He said, go ahead and go this way. I'm going to go this way. The scripture said he sent them one way and he went another. The disciples went toiling in a boat while Jesus went to get on the altar. And while they were toiling in the boat, they got far ahead. But while Jesus was laying on the altar, the Bible says that early, around 3 o'clock in the morning, hours had gone by. The disciples were far ahead of Jesus. But at 3 a.m., when he came off the altar, the Bible said, then he came to where they were. In other words, the disciples had left hours ahead of Jesus. They had been gone far before him, but hours of toiling didn't compare to the moments of praying. Because, he chose, because Jesus chose the altar, he was able to accelerate. He got there in a shorter time because he chose the altar over toiling. It took them all day to get there, but he got there in a matter of minutes. Can I just declare over you, if you get an altar, there's coming divine acceleration where it took others 20 years. It may only take you two. You're going to get there quicker. You're going to get there faster when you have an altar. He knows how to accelerate you and take you quicker and further in a shorter amount of time. All that to say, if we prioritize an altar in our life, God will give us authorization, alteration, and activation and acceleration. If you believe that, say amen. Everybody stand. With every head bowed and every eye closed, somebody's life is about to be accelerated. You're about to come out of darkness and out of bondage, out of sin, out of hurt, out of pain, and out of addiction. 
I'm declaring that right now that there's going to be a divine authorization, alteration, activation, and acceleration because you're going to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And when you make a decision to come to the altar, because the altar is a place of exchange, the altar is where I lay down my life and I pick up his. The altar is where I lay down my sickness and I pick up health. I lay down my grief and I pick up consolation. I lay down my shame and guilt and I pick up his, his acceptance and approval. Approval. I lay down my sin and I pick up his forgiveness. I lay down my temporal life and I receive his eternal life. If you're in this room and you say, Brianna, you're talking to me. I know that I'm not in right standing with Jesus. I need to surrender my life. I need Jesus to forgive me and cleanse me and wash me. I need him to break yokes, heal my life of past sins and addiction. And I'm ready to surrender it all to Jesus. I'm ready to present my life to him fully because I need his forgiveness. If that's you, on the count of three, raise your hand. One, he loves you. Two, he cares. Three, he is willing to forgive you. Amen, freedom. I pray. I pray that you receive something this morning.